everybody! Welcome to another episode of Remember the Arts. I'm Courtney. And I am Tom. Tom's here, and yeah. we're here to talk to you about everything from the arts, from going to the Apple Store and taking photos on the camera with your friends to sharper image. And from when you can finally convince your family to get DVDs in the early 2000s, to all of a sudden now having to convert to Blu-ray, but that's okay because PlayStation's got you covered. Tom, what was your first DVD that you got? Tarzan. Was Tarzan? It was Tarzan. I think mine was Finding Nemo. Oh, yeah. Like, I specifically remember Tarzan. I remember I was so excited to get a DVD player. And I like all I did was watch movies on it, and I remember being heartbroken because one day the DVD player broke. Yeah. And then being like, "Oh, now I can't watch my movies." It was I remember I forgot the brand. It was a very this was like when DVD players were huge. When DVD players were actually a thing that people had. Yeah, and they were big. Like they were big. These monstrosities. You just have stacks of them. I found. Yeah. When I was listening, when we were doing the other episodes for the Mandy Pixie Dream Girl miniseries, mm-hmm. I had the ones where they have the little locks on the DVD case. Oh, those were awful. <laughs> to keep it from falling apart. I liked it, but I think maybe that's because uh, we did not treat our DVDs with respect in my house and they would often become a mess. So I liked those locks. That You know, I can agree to that. I understand. Uh, the ones I hated the most, and a lot of Warner Brothers movies did this, yeah. especially the Nightmare on Elm Street series, they would have the DVD box where it was like the really cheap kind where the the cover wasn't... Like, you know how the normal DVD box was? It was just a plastic contraption with plastic that held in the, like, the movie poster or whatnot? Yeah, yeah. There's another one where... The bottom layer was the plastic cartridge with a foldable flat that would hold in a piece of paper or cardboard that was the front. Oh, okay. I think a lot of New Line movies were like that. Mm. I don't know why Warner Brothers did this. Maybe it was just cheap, but it was annoying. I see what you mean. You know what drove me crazy about early DVDs? What was that? Uh, When I would go over for a little sleepover and you would put a DVD on, and you all fall asleep, but then you're the one person who would wake up at 2 a.m., and then you just hear the DVD menu music playing on repeat over and over and over again. Oh, yeah, that was... And you just can't get up because you don't want to wake up anybody else. So you're just listening to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets menu music over and over again at 2 a.m. That's That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird one. I remember back then a lot of, it's so interesting because it's not that long ago but it is they took a lot of especially early on there was a lot of cool creative things they did with dvds like you know the special features or yeah i always love remember those parts. yeah yeah or the, i'll always remember the fight club dvd oh boy would open with a different movie i forgot what movie it was do you remember no i don't it would, it would open with a like a romance movie, and then for like a whole minute, it would just stay on the screen for this movie, and then it would kick in and tell you like this is the wrong movie, and then Fight Club would show up. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. I yeah. have to know. Never been kissed with Drew Barrymore. Oh, maybe I never saw that movie, but I know a lot of people love it. Well, that's Fight Club's taking a stab at that. Yeah. That's another interesting odds thing. I mean, the movie came out in 1999. Yeah, I think that we should start considering 1999 as part of the odds because there's always that beginning phase. Yeah. That's like the end of one decade that leads into the next decade. And also, I really want to cover 10 Things I Hate About You. I'm okay with this. Cool. cool. Well, I mean, like, that's kind of how, like, Heather's was. Right, it was, exactly. It was the the end of the 80s and into the 90s. Right. Our point of this episode the, yes. is actually a little bit on the later half of the odds. This episode is about... Tom, do you want to tell them? Today's episode, we're going to be doing another music video song. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about the 2006 hit... Miss Murder by the punk slash goth rock slash emo slash post hardcore slash whatever 
whichever album year was your fit band, AFI. Yeah, that's right. Which stood for A Fire Inside. I remember for a while, I don't know if this was a joke that the lead singer of Green Day made, but he mentioned how Davey Havoc was going to make his own eyeliner and call it AFI AFI liner. (laughs) I didn't know that. I, I don't know if that was just Billy Joe Armstrong messing with people. Uh, but I really did think for a while that he was going to have an eyeliner, so I kept waiting for it just to see what the advertisements would look like. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that makes sense. Right. Also, fun fact, those bands, they're not from the same area, but they used to play at some of the same shows. Right, exactly. Um, but you brought up a good point, because AFI changed its genre multiple times throughout its span in the 2000s. Oh yeah, this band, first of all, context, we're covering this band because when this album, um, December Underground, came out in 2006, it was a hit. Yeah. It was a smash hit, and for me, it kind of came out of nowhere, and everybody, I love this song too, I'm not going to, you know, obviously I'm not going to front. So the reason that I suggested we do this episode is because, one, we're leading into Halloween. Yes. We're leading into our next mini-series, and I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it so distinctly. The whole thing about 2006 was everybody was holding their breath around the day June 6, 2006, and that's when they released this music video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is... Well, even that, like, this band had a lot more ties to, like, Halloween and horror rock than I realized. Yeah. Like, they even have an album, it's an EP, just called All Hollows EP. Yeah. Which, I love that album art. I bought the record just because of that album art. When I was younger, my sister listened to them a little bit more than I did, but I really liked Girls Not Grey. That's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, It's still my favorite song by them at this point. Um, That's fair, yeah. I tried listening to Miss Murder again, and it definitely does not hit the same way it did before that's fair i I, really loved the song when it came out and it just did not it did not come back for me oh no i i love the song still yeah but i will say i through the modern lens this music video is weird a lot of fascism yeah a lot of like we'll get into the music video because there's so much to talk about But like, yeah, you're right. There's certain aspects. And I think that's, you mentioned before we recorded, this band kind of evolved with their fans and Mm -hmm. the trends at the time. And that's just kind of one of those things where I don't know if it was a creative decision on the band or the director, Mark Webb, another crossover to another episode, 500 Days of Summer. Yeah, all of these figures in the odds, they all just kind of bleed into one another. Like that was something of the time, this, the, using the, fascism iconography mm-hmm. and i would like to cover that a little bit because yeah. um this is something that is a privilege in the 2000s that you couldn't you could just use this imagery and not think much of it going like oh well we just you know it's it's historical i know and i think that there was something about 2000s punk that sort of appropriated military or military adjacent attire Yeah. Because I had plenty of army green jackets and, you know, like the messenger bags and, you know, uh, gentle fascism in Miss Murder music video. Well, I mean, in in a way, whether for good or bad, has always sort of used Nazi imagery, whether to to just intimidate or upset people. Hmm. Or some people, unfortunately, like literally taking it as like, you know, at, you know, being skinheads. Mm, I kind of saw it as the going in the opposite direction, like, because, you know, people who go into punk music or are interested in punk music tend to see themselves as outsiders. And then they sort of see everyone else who conforms as being part of this. Uh, force like a military no there's definitely that so like, i kind of see and, that as like as in like an observation of this thing that they feel like they're not a part of 
You know what I mean? I do. I'm trying. I'm losing the name. Was it Sid Vicious? The Sex Pistols? Oh, I don't know. It might be. It's probably. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wearing Nazi swastikas to piss people off. Like, it wasn't intended as an appropriation thing, but that's definitely, like, to upset people with ignorance rather than a thoughtful analysis of, like, what you're doing or what you're wearing. Right, and also, military was very present for us in the aughts because of, you know, 9-11 and... Uh, George Bush at the time, you know, and we're going to actually see it when we bring up the 2006 charts uh, that there are bands on there who had certain bouts of frustration with the war. You know, the war was talked about a lot. If you were uh, not supporting the war, you were anti-American. It was a big cultural thing. Um, But we're seeing now that there was a lot of information that was sort of left out on us um, in that decade, which you mentioned, like this kind of faux fascism that was in the music video can be seen as a privilege now because we just weren't aware of all of the information out there at the time. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, and that's totally fair to say. The aughts were, especially compared to the 90s, the aughts were, you know, we just very much the war industrial complex was at full you know, full speed. We nine eleven happened. Our sense of security was broken. We were and we very were, aware of war. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We were at war. We're still at war. I know. But back to the song. Yeah. So to give a quick history of the band AFI, uh, I have that. You know, as I said, they stand for a fire inside. Started in the summer of 1991 in California in a small town just north of San Francisco. Just a couple of high school kids, uh, mainly Davey, who's always been a member of the band. Like, he's been one of the consistents. Mm-hmm. Had this little local band. They broke up and all went to college and then had a reunion tour a few years later. And were just like, you know what? Let's just do it. They were... I found some early interviews. It's really interesting to see their roots because... I watched a few like people in the punk and hardcore scene talk about AFI and the thing that they constantly talk about is how AFI was a part was a hardcore band and even later on when they kind of had more of a melodic complicated sound mm-hmm. they were still a band that was considered hardcore adjacent or post hardcore mm-hmm. and they were always kind of seen as culturally still holding on to the values of punk which would separate someone like AFI from bands that were influenced by AFI, but not the bands that AFI was influenced by, Mm, which kind of creates that distance between like the later like scene bands from something like AFI, which although sounding very different than their roots still have this kind of, you know, respect in the hardcore scene. And that's something I got a lot when I was researching this band. I asked people of different age groups, like, Hey, can you tell me your favorite AFI song? And I got like a whole different thing depending on who I talked to. I had some people were like, they were this great underground hardcore band who sold out in 2001. And then I have some people were like, man, I was a huge fan with December Underground, but I didn't like their later stuff. And then you have young kids who just know them from, you know, December Underground on. Right. And from what I remember is at this point when Miss Murder was coming out, for most people, this was kind of seen as their step into quote-unquote selling out, but they were still very tethered in something pure that came from them before that. And then I think that's what sort of kept people interested in them in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, their transition... I'll say this. Their transition was not abrupt, like a Metallica abrupt. Right. And it makes sense to me. Yeah, because... they performed, I would say in the early days, they, they performed with bands like Sick of It All, Snapcase, Rancid, At the Drive-In, Death by Stereo, Sam Hain and Dan Zig. Like that's just, oh, wow. these are these are all punk bands, but the diversity of the type of punks really show where AFI were kind of going. Because they, even when we get to Miss Murder and December Underground, there is that darker horror element but it's not like the forefront of what the band's going for but it's definitely a prominent there i would say one of the 
where you start to see the inklings of where they're going to get to with December Underground is in their release in 1999 of Black Sails in the Sunset. Sounds like a pirate theme. It is. It, well, I love the, I just, I kind of love, realize, I love AFI more than I thought I would. I was going to say, did you get into them after this? Yeah. Yeah, you sound well, like mean, you're kind of into them now. Oh, yeah. And this is just, because I always loved the song, but I never did much more research. I just like, oh, I like that song. But right. now I'm like, there's a lot here. Black Sails in the Sunset was critically well-received and still loved by a lot of fans. It was uh, mentioned as having, this was like the beginning of their reinvention by mm-hmm. a lot of people. It was still very, and it's still, like, I listen to it. It has some very, some really good hardcore sound, but it's a little richer. It's got more complex compositions and more melody in the vocals. Mm. Uh, and this is when their guitarist, Jade Puget, I don't want to say his last name wrong. I definitely did. He joins their guitarist, and he kind of incorporates more of that complexity to the instrumentals. And you see the beginnings of where they gonna get to December Underground. Mm-hmm. Then they're followed up with um, Sing the Sorrow, which was like an even bigger hit. And this was like their introduction into like the big label, the big success, I think the big pressure. That was the CD that I remember seeing my sister have. That was, yes. yeah, that was the one. This was the mainstream breakthrough. Yeah. That would only be solidified by December Underground, which was on Interscope Records. They were no longer like on these small indie record labels. They were now big. You know, they had to make it big. And if I can transition to the origins of the song. Yeah, sure. The fun thing is that for this album in particular, a lot of critics uh, say, critics including me, (laughs) you can hear influences from bands like The Cure, The Smiths, Depeche Mode. Um, you know, bands along that line kind of departing from the more hardcore punk sound and into more of this like gothic or post hard, you know, post punk sort of sound. I see Depeche Mode a lot in this. Like when I think of personal yeah. gene- Jesus, I could see, I could hear a lot of that in Miss Murder. Yes. Yeah. And when they were coming up with this album, they were, they were traditionally based out around the San Fran area. But they actually went down to LA to record this album. They were having they were having like a hard time. And they ended up just jamming out in the basement of this dude's house in Silver Lake, mm-hmm. where apparently folk musician Elliot Smith would just jam out. Oh. And they were just kind of goofing around, and then all of a sudden, uh, the guitarist on his guitar kind of just came up with this cool bass rift. That bass like, rift is too good for them. Yeah, it's it was so good. It came up on he, he came up with it on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is a cool sound. Let's go with it. And unlike most songs where you come up with a theme or you come up with an idea and you write the lyrics around it. Uh, apparently, Davey had this like he had this method of writing songs where he would have placeholders like mm-hmm. he comes up with a placeholder title and then changes it as the song evolves. So the placeholder of this song was actually Miss Murder. OK, he thought it was corny and dorky and didn't even want to use it and he didn't even want to keep the song but the guitarist and like one of their producers were like no that's actually really cool let's keep it and they had to convince them to keep the song on the album okay that's interesting i wonder what that album would sound like without it because i think that that's kind of the overall style and aesthetic of the entire album so i can't imagine what they would have done without it yeah it's insane to think like sometimes just these decisions mm-hmm. like they literally were just like the, it, everything about it like oh this this title's just a placeholder oh this song's cool but not the best we, let's not keep it on the album it's like but then that becomes the smash hit this huge hit that is still their biggest hit today it is and it's so much of a hit that another k- crossover it's also on guitar hero 3 which a previous episode, Knights of Sidonia, was on Guitar Hero 3. I had no idea when I suggested this song. I was just like, yeah, we're getting into Halloween. Let's do Miss Murder. The whole 666 thing was a huge deal in 2006. This is great. And then I found out just today. And I checked with you. I was like, is this really a Guitar Hero 3 song? And, you were and I was like, like yep, yeah. That's right. Of course. I love this song. And, um... Yeah, since we're actually close to Halloween, I just want to throw it in there. Side note, I mentioned it before, mm-hmm. but if you check out their All Hollows EP, they have 
maybe they have a fantastic cover of the Misfits song Halloween. Ooh. Yes, which I love their the Misfits version, but this version's pretty cool. It like keeps that hardcore sound, but then adds this like weird, creepy, like just instrumental at the end that made me think of the movie um Black Christmas. It had this weird, oh. like tingly sounds and just creepy instrumentals. They and kind the album of art. have that idea of like the horror Christmas sound in the prelude twenty uh twelve twenty one for this album too. Yes, like there's definitely that like a bit of glam, but goth and Halloween vibes all throughout. So you're saying the album art? Oh, I just, I love it. Yeah. It's this really, like if you love Halloween, I think you'd really like this album cover. So in 2003, Girls Not Grey comes out and this is sort of, um, I had known about AFI at this point, but it was the Mm -hmm. song that I could kind of get into. Uh, Their other videos kind of scared me when I was a kid. Because how uh, old were we at that point? 2003, we were at most 12. Yeah. So I was a little like, oh, this is kind of scary. But I liked Girls Not Grey. And that kind of fit the vibe of what was popular in rock music at the time. So, you know, Davey Havoc was doing his glam thing, but everything else about it was pretty punk and pretty hardcore and a little scary or a little spooky. And then, you know... Miss Murder comes out in 2006, and it suddenly shifted to this more, like, fine-tuned, more polished, branded sound, and they kind of create this whole theme around the 666, and then, you know, I didn't realize this, so at that point, when Miss Murder came out, I would look at Davey Havoc in the music video and be like, wow, he's like really aged. He looks a lot older. <laughs> Dude was only 31. Uh... We're only like two years younger than he was at the time. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you just think that everybody's old. Yeah. And then you become that age and you're like, oh, I still feel like a child. Nope, I'm not anymore. I am a grown up. Well, that's the interesting thing about it, because like comparatively to the other bands at this time, because we're in like the second, we're in the second half of the odds. Yes. So like a lot of post-hardcore and scene bands were coming out around this time, and it's easy to see their influence from AFI. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, what separates the sec- the latter half of the odds from like, you know, AFI and other punks in that same kind of adjacent hardcore is the influences. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easy to look at like, you know, the front man Davey and say like, Oh, comparatively speaking, he's much older. Cause in a way he was, he wasn't like that's true. a MySpace. He wasn't a MySpace band. He wasn't as 18. young as like the fallout boy kids and Brendan Yuri at panic at the disco. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, he looked pretty old at the time. Silly, <laughs> silly teenage Courtney. But then I decided to look up, the 2009 music that they were making. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Medicaid. That was the name of the song that I saw. Mm-hmm. And completely different look from the other six years that we've been talking about. It looks very different. Suddenly, he's not wearing any makeup. He's got the pulled back pompadour. He's wearing a suit and he's got a five o'clock shadow. So he's completely changing up his look and looking a little bit more masculine. He's a little bit older now. He's 34, 35 at this point. Yeah. And it works with what was shifting with the fan base. The fan base is getting older. This is when hipsterdom starts showing up. So it makes sense that he's wearing this like old fashioned suit and the pompadour. And yeah, you can see how he, the band is shifting with the trends as the fans are shifting with the trends as well. Yeah. Well, even at this point, he has a whole new generation of fans. True. And it's it's such a fascinating look. And I, like, it's, that's the one... AFI is one of those bands that if you just look at them at face value from December Underground, you're like, oh, this is just like an emo band. Right. But then all of a sudden you see, like, 
old school punk guys, you know, who would look like they'd have nothing to fucking do with anything scene or emo. Yeah. And they're giving major props and respects to this band. And then you dig dive and you're like, wow, this band has a long history. And I think a creative one. It's not like a force, like we're chasing the trend. It's more like they're evolving. Yeah, I don't think there's anything forced about their approach at all. And, you know, I know a lot of people would say, oh, that was the moment that they sold out. But clearly, it's not like they completely cut off their inspiration after this and went more mainstream. Like, I always think of Yellow Card. I mean, not Yellow Card. I'm sorry. Their song is Yellow. I think of Coldplay. That's what I mean. Yeah. Not Yellow Card. I still love Yellow Card. But Coldplay, once they had Viva La Vida, it's like they completely cut themselves off from their previous influences. Yeah. AFI just continues to be themselves. They just dress up differently. Um, And I would even add that Davey Havoc's super band, Dream Car, which comes in 2016, 10 years after Miss Murder, is much more my type of music, where it's like okay. new wave influenced. Um, his style is very different. He's wearing these very like decorative button-down matching pants outfits. Uh, and it's pretty good. I, I liked it. I don't know if they're going to come out with another album. But I dig it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, also, Davey Havoc is a Rochester boy. Is he? Really? Yeah, he's a Rochester native. He moved to California when he was five, when his dad passed away. Oh, okay. But he was born in good old-fashioned Rochester, where my family's from. Did not notice yeah. that. Yeah. Courtney, I wanted to ask you. Yes. Do you have anything else? Because I was going to ask you if you wanted to read the lyrics. Ooh, do you okay who who wants to read the lyrics more um do you want to read the lyrics we could we could also interchange too let's interchange okay okay Let me pull up the lyrics because they're so much fun to like they're so yeah. silly who wants to do the let's do like the first four okay it sounds good the core well it's not the chorus what is it like you're not you're a music person does it is that the chorus and it just starts with it yeah that's definitely the chorus Okay. Yeah, because the stars part, that's the the pre-chorus. Alright, so which why don't, which part would you like to do? Why don't you start, okay. and then I'll read the second stanza. Alright, we will now read you the lyrics to the song Miss Murder by AFI. Hey, Miss Murder, can I? Hey, Miss Murder, can I? Make beauty stay if I take my life. Oh, whoa, whoa, I'm not a good singer. With just a look, they shook, and heavens bowed before him. Simply a look can break your heart. The stars that pierced the sky, he left them all behind. We're left to wonder why he left us all behind. Hey, Miss Murder, can I? Hey, Miss Murder, can I? Make beauty stay if I take my life. Oh. Dreams of this crash. I liked that part. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how they all adore him. I just love the song. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really do. I When I was listening to the album today... I was like, maybe I'll get back into it if I listen to the whole album. And although it made me like the second single to this a little bit more, Love Like Winter. Yeah. And I still don't mind hearing Miss Murder. It just, it doesn't hit me in the same way that it did in 2006. Like, I don't need well, no, to like fair, yeah. repeat it over and over again on YouTube. I completely understand. So do we want to talk about the music video? Let's talk about the music video. All right. And I was excited about this because I loved our breakdown of the Knights of Sidonia music video. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. So I went into this fully prepared. What I do is I watch on my TV with the surround sound the music video. Just kind of take notice of little things, uh, a lot of imagery. I was kind of like, huh, 
I didn't realize as a young teenager in high school, a lot of this is fascist iconography mm. or fascist imagery, rather. And I decided I'm going to do some research into the making of this video. And luckily, just like with the Knights of Sidonia video, there was a making of documentary. Oh, perfect. But this making of documentary was nowhere near as helpful as the Knights of Sidonia making a music video Thanks. documentary. Thanks, AFI. Thanks, Mark Webb. Brought to us from MTV2, which you, yes, you brought it up. Mark Webb, director of hits such as 500 Days of Summer, The Amazing Spider-Man, and The Amazing Bad Spider-Man 2. I think he also directed a bunch of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend episodes. Yes, he did. He also directed one episode of The Office. Oh, okay. But what I found out and didn't really know was just how rich his resume is in music videos yeah i didn't know that until you mentioned it for the 500 days of summer episode most notably he did the helena music video from my chemical Romance. no way yes he did oh my god i love that music video matter of fact i messaged a co-worker and i was like what do you know about mark webb and he goes i know he directed the helena music I video love, that's when i took note i love that music video i love it's an amazing music video i love music videos with very very choreographed and synchronized dance scenes yeah he also did the same from the same album he did the ghost of you that one i'm not too crazy about i think that's my least favorite song on the album but i do love helena he also did the all american rejects music video for move along oh wow uh, he did Teenagers, the My Chemical Romance song, Teenagers. That's my favorite song from Black Parade. That's a great I song. I love that song. He also did a couple Weezer music videos. He did Hilary Duff's Wake Up. Oh my god, of course. <laughs> Hilary Duff's wake and up, Fergie. Wake up. He did a, a lot, and I was surprised. So I start to watch this break making of. All this, this was also another intense shoot. They shot... I don't remember exactly how long it took them to shot it, shoot it, mm -hmm. but they would film from like late evening into early morning to get that nighttime appeal. Mm. A lot of significant moments were shot at like five in the morning. I would probably murder somebody. I would be Miss yeah. Murder at that point because I hate being up that late. And when you think about it, when you watch it, a lot of it, there's no like visual effect or anything. It's a lot of practical. And we take for granted how much work went into it. Like, when Davey does the fascist thing of standing on the balcony, cheering to the crowd and, you know, doing the whole, like, triumph the of the air. will. Yeah. Uh, that was actually him on top of a massive city hall building with wires, you know, keeping him locked into the building so he doesn't fall to his death. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes. That's so scary. It is. Um, also, another difference is Mark Webb. Very talented man. I'm not taking that away from him. Very, very talented man. Has a great resume. He's got a great uh, sense of getting color and color palettes, I think. Yes, he does. And that's what is in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, too. There's such a brightness. I don't know if it was just for the making of this, because they did shoot it, like, super early in the morning. Right. He just seemed very difficult and indifferent mm. to everything. Mm. <laughs> like... Because I was like, I was like, I definitely need to know about why there was a lot of fascist, like, you know, imagery in this. Oh, a director he, being difficult? You don't say. I've never heard of yeah. that before. And Mark Webb quotes. This is what he says. <clears throat> the concept is, is really simple. It's about Davey uh, kind of transforming into a, you know, I hate describing these things. I don't know how to describe these things. What? That's it. I thought you were just saying that. That's the quote? That's the quote. Oh, I thought you were just saying that. I thought you were just saying you hate describing things. And I was like, wait, why did you suggest it then? But now it makes sense to me. So he probably didn't want to say anything questionable. No. Okay. Mm -mm. That's a huge contrast from um, the Knights of Stony music video, where they were all super happy to talk about everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, they also were going for a vibe that is questionably CD, but it was CD in a different kind of way. But yes. it was still exploiting themes that weren't new to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Webb then goes on to say, 
You watch movies like fascist era films, like Triumph of the Will. Oh boy. Some of those propaganda films to sort of give us a sense of the iconographic power. And I'm like, who's just watching Triumph of the Will? Um, I guess Mark Webb at five in the morning. I don't know. <laughs> I I also, I do remember when I had a history of animation course, which was so much fun. Uh, we did have to get through the awkward phase of animation in the 1940s that were very war propagandist. Yes. Yeah. So... I guess at some point when you're a film school kid, it's going to come up. I don't know why, but it's yeah. like, okay, here's that time again. I I will say this. What I've noticed is having taken a few film courses and just kind of knowing people and it is like, it's, it's difficult because on one hand you're learning history. Like when you look, that's the thing I think that's, that my biggest problem is because also as a history major as well. I look at things through a historical lens. And when you do that, you allow yourself to disconnect and kind of look at it objectively and look at it as it happened and think, okay, as a, you know, as a modern person through this scope, we can learn from this and kind of interpret it as it is. But as a film person, sometimes they get way too excited to talk about certain things, not realizing the context of why and when that film was made. Mm -hmm. Like only in the last 10 years, have they really criticized the 1911 movie Birth of a Nation? No. Like, yeah. for years that was still shown as, like, this masterpiece of filmmaking. Right. Which, when you look at it historically, you can say that and not feel like you're fetishizing it. But as, like, a film perspective, you're almost, like, forgetting everything else about it. Like, yeah, uh, Birth of a Nation and <laughs> everything surrounding the film is awful. <laughs> Right, and you can say things like, uh, we were really inspired by the aesthetic of these fascist ideals because they exude power, but the yeah. thing is, you're not going to think that when it's five in the morning on a set and you're worried you're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. And I think, I think, and I'm not even criticizing them going like, oh my god, hashtag cancel AFI, cancel Mark Webb. That's not my point. Right. I think what I'm trying to say is there's usually a point in borrowing the imagery like you can watch a satire or even like let's say you can go back and watch you know a charlie chaplin film and get where the satire is going you get the point mm -hmm. you understand what they're trying to say and i was hoping to get that i was hoping to get like mark webb explain like this is a criticism of and some people right. make this argument i've read this argument online that this music video is Davey kind of interpreting this sudden rise to fame from like the indie, you know, the indie hardcore underground scene to all of a sudden like this mainstream success and asking to like that, like how that reflects through this imagery, like using this extreme imagery to be like, this is that sort of power rush and how do I, you know, quite literally, how do I end this? Mm -hmm. But uh, where the main source should have been the director. I got none of that from him. And maybe so he funny. did, and I just didn't find it. But he definitely didn't tell MTV2 this. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think that, um, and like I was saying earlier, is that like punk is always sort of aware of the regime or whoever the opposition is, right? And it's usually, you'll see a lot of music videos, and even in Muse's video, Time is Running Out, and their later work, it is always very critical of government and oligarchy and bourgeoisie figures. Um, so I think even if they were just like looking to examine it critically, uh, just saying, yeah, I, I don't know about these things doesn't come off good. Yeah. Let's talk about some bunnies. Yes. Uh, one of my notes is, <clears throat> to put it politely, how many fucking rabbits do they have on set? I don't know. And also, isn't that one of the things that they say you should not have, you shouldn't work with, right? It's like kids and animals. Yeah, kids and animals. And uh, I did see in the making of, it was very difficult to work with these rabbits. Rabbits aren't actually the easiest to care for. I don't think they that's something not. that people realize. They bite. They don't like to be held for very long. 
They scream. They scream. That's true. Yeah, um, and it makes sense. Uh, while watching the music video, uh, Mark Webb had a breakdown. What? And just a funny anecdote: the tour manager was being a dick the entire shoot. He was just annoying the shit out of people. So you have like an unreasonable amount of rabbits on set, and then a tour manager being a dick, and Mark Webb just has a breakdown. And it's five a.m. and Davy Havoc has to be careful because he might fall off of a building. Like yeah. None of this is really on the forefront of watching a music video. No, we don't appreciate the amount of work it took into getting all these rabbits ready. I'm not sure if all of this was worth it, to be honest, because it's just, it's so much work. I thought that, you know, about the, um, about him being like all the way up on the top of the building. I honestly just thought that that was just perspective and like skewed camera work. So was it really necessary to have all these rabbits? No, I don't. So what were you going to talk about with the rabbits? Oh, so I know that when they were releasing the album and they were going for this more branded, more polished look, their logo for that time were three rabbits in a circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I found out as we before we started recording um, that we both decided to look up mythology and symbolism on rabbits because we just could not figure out why they would use rabbits as such a big theme for this whole entire album. Yeah. What did you find about rabbits? Okay, so I will start this off by quoting Mark Webb once again, who says, if you know your history, rabbits usually spell doom. What? He said this, and then he said, some people see them as a sign of fertility, but not in AFI's world. And I remember thinking, I feel like that's not true, like, at all. I've never heard anyone say rabbits are a sign of doom. Definitely fertility. So, definitely fertility. But that's kind of just, like, a universally understood thing. Mm-hmm. I looked up different meanings for rabbits, and I learned that Mark Webb was full of shit, because nowhere did I find anyone suggest that black rabbits were a sign of doom i only found one thing what'd you find that could imply it and there's something about it that does kind of make me think maybe this is the vibe that they were going for but i need to preface with this is not a academic factual site this is just a, a pretty basic html that somebody made so um i could be completely wrong but i'm just going based off of what i'm seeing okay so on the isle of portland in dorset england the rabbit is Mm. associated with bad luck this is believed to originate from the quarrying industry where to save space piles of unsaleable extracted stone were built into tall rough walls behind the working quarry face rabbits burying would weaken the walls causing collapse often resulting in injuries or even death oh wow that's that's actually very interesting that's kind of cool right and there's something about that is the um i'm going to say the overall aesthetics that AFI uses not just in this album but in previous albums as well, there is sort of this kind of British pop culture kind of nod that I get from them. You know, uh, rabbits are usually mentioned in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland in the Girls Not Grey yeah. video. There are kind of okay. some Alice's Adventures in Wonderland influences in it as well. So I, I just kind of get this like British. I'm I it, I'm trying to make sense of it. Is what I'm no, saying. No, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, you. You were a champ. Thank you. Because you analyzed and interpreted in a meaning that makes sense. I found... What did you find? Some... I used two sources, which I'm not going to disrespect the sources. I have recently loved to explore uh, different elements of the occult, uh, witchcraft, and magic. But with that being said, I found things that do not support Mark Webb's hypothesis whatsoever. Okay. Because uh, from the source, spiritual meaning and analysis of seeing different colored rabbits in dreams, black rabbits suggest fear of intimacy. Huh. Which, I don't know, maybe if Miss Murder is... Well, I mean, in the music video, we get this implied imagery that she is a woman. Right. 
Miss Mercer. And she's coming for him. Maybe he's afraid of her. But I don't think that's what they were going for. I don't know if you hear that tiny little burp that I just had. Um, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that mine kind of, what I found might follow it a little bit more. But like I said, I don't know if this is a credible source. Um, but I don't know if it was their attempt to turn it into a sort of new mythology. Like they were building up this entity, you know. Um, St. Jimmy became a thing after Green Day's American Idiot. So, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that the artist was trying to create something out of their work. I also have from another source, uh, different ancient cultures for the, for the Celts, the rabbit was a sacred animal to the goddess of victory. Oh, cool. Which, you know what, that makes more sense if you're going to use fascism that could make as, sense. Like an, as an inspiration for your music video. Uh-huh. I guess, in a way, what I'm, how I'm trying to connect the dots is that, so Davy Havoc is this fascist leader, right? Everyone is listening yeah. to him. He has Im- immaculate power. Is it that no matter how successful or how powerful that fascist leader is going to be, no matter what, death is coming for them. Ooh, that's you know what I I can if I can use this as a crossover. Yeah. I did find some fan interpretations oh that I thought were actually very interesting and provided more insight than Mark Webb did on MTV Two back in two thousand six. Oh boy! Uh, one meaning I got is that this can be interpreted as Satan's fall from grace. Okay. Another can interpret it as Jesus abandoning humanity. Okay. Or a modern adaptation of Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray. You know, I've never actually read Dorian Gray, and I feel like I'm supposed to. It's okay. Well, you do it at your own pace. Okay. I feel like I'm missing out on something that people just know. Those are definitely some interesting ways to think about it, and I definitely think that when you look at certain aspects of the chorus, I think when you, because someone wrote, if you look at the part where he goes, hey, Miss Murder, can I? You can write how Havoc was skeptical. No, that's, I'm reading it out of order. I'm sorry, scratch that. (laughs) Fuck it. Or, oh, the interpretation could then be he's asking death to kill him so that his image and legacy is remained with the youthful youthful image rather than that of age oh that's kind of interesting which could lead back to the rabbits because rabbits are from every account every wiccan every anyone who just practices this sort of thing all says rabbits are youthful so i'm like all right cool jesus easter it's all bunnies they're bunnies and easter They fuck a lot. They fuck a lot. Um, no, that's really interesting. I don't know, bunnies are so cute. So even though they're supposed to be sort of creating this idea of an omen or something bad is going to happen, I'm still just like, ah, oh, look how cute those bunnies are. Yeah. Um, I remember very specifically there was this funny moment where they did a, they had like several, because there is a moment in the music video where there's a bunch of rabbits and Davey picks one up and he's holding it. And you just kind of, you don't appreciate it when you're watching it, how many takes that must have been. Because in the making of the music video, and this was a funny bit, every time he picked up one of the rabbits, the rabbit would would have a legit panic attack Uh and jumped out, either jumped out of his hands or into his face. (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing. And like, I bet they had to redo the makeup so many times. Yeah, rabbits are difficult. Rabbits are difficult. If you're going to pick an animal to have on set that's supposed to be, like, an omen, maybe consider having, like, black cats. That, or honestly, they sort of look like rabbits, but they're a lot easier to handle. Just guinea pigs. I don't think it would have the same menacing look. I mean, I don't think the rabbits are menacing, but it's at least, like, ominous and kind of, like, horror-y to have the rabbits. I don't know if a bunch of guinea pigs would give off the same attitude there tom 
Yeah, but they but they're a lot more docile. They're a lot more friendly. Can you imagine? They're- You're a fascist leader. You are cheering your troops on. You are getting them ready for battle, and then you are followed by a pile of guinea pigs. Well, that could be a metaphor. Everyone's a guinea pig. Everyone's a guinea pig. I wonder what the name of like a group of guinea pigs is. That's a great question. I love looking this up. Um, because it is a really interesting thing. Like a ravens, like a group of ravens is called an unkindness. That's that's the coolest thing about it. Isn't it great? Um, okay, yeah. a group. Oh, no, that's just a guinea pig. Okay. I don't know. We're going to find this out. This I is found, important. I found you it. Did? A group of guinea pigs is called a herd. Okay, that makes sense. But... If you guys ever want to have a fun fact to bring to a party, you know, when everything is safe and it seems viable to have a party again, uh, just look up what it means to have, like, a group of an animal. You'll find some interesting yeah. ones. This song, this album broke the the charts. It, like, was number one. This song in particular was number 24 on the Billboard Hot 100, mm-hmm. number one on the Billboard Alternative songs. Mm. It, it was a huge hit. Number 13 on mainstream rock tracks. So I looked up the list of albums that made number one on the Billboard 200 uh, in 2006, just so we can sort of paint a picture of what was happening in 2006. Okay. And actually, the album that the AFI album, December Underground, bumped off of number one. Um, from my girls formerly known as the dixie chicks the chicks Uh, album taking the long way which is their response to everyone's criticism of their response to how bush handled the war in the 2000s that's interesting that's definitely an insight as to where we were at in 2006 yeah so i think it was in 2003 the chicks uh made a statement at a concert they made it very clear that they were unhappy with how the uh, Bush presidency was handling the conflict in the Middle East, and everyone lost their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they had their CDs burned, they were blocked off of all of the country radio channels, and then in 2006 they come out with Taking the Long Way. And this was the one that hit number one right before AFI, and then AFI bumped it off. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to paint the picture earlier about like military being present and it being very clear during this time. So oh, yeah. it was on people's minds. I would even say, um, I don't know if it came out around the same time, but this was even when System of a Down did byob which that was another oh yeah also very strong but i think in comparison this the message was very deliberate they're very deliberately criticizing you know militarization and fascism with their and that's always how they were been so you're right this was an era which media was kind of saturated with this imagery and a response to the world we were sort of living in at that time so byob came out in 2005 ah, a year, year before, before. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. And then, so along with these two albums that were really, really big um, in the two thousand in two thousand and six, we also have. Let's see, we've got Neo out with I think his debut album, mm-hmm. where it's one of his earlier albums. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it was it was released very positively. So Neo came out. And then um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Stadium Arcadium comes out, which is a huge deal. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Future Sex Love Sounds (laughs) by Justin Timberlake. Okay. Let's see what else. We got Evanescence coming out with The Open Door. And we've got Incubus coming out with a new album. They've also, I mean, it's called like Grenades. So they're also on the same topic as um some of our other punk rock bands danny d came mm. yes we have to cover them eventually okay yeah and also um oh my gosh what is her name why can't i remember it right now 
Is it Claire? Claire Underwood? Is that a Carrie Underwood? That's what it is. Claire. Claire. Claire Underwood. Um, Carrie Underwood's first album, which is the best performing album of 2006, uh, comes out this year, uh, but it never reached number one. Okay. So that's what's happening in the world of music at 2006. All right. Do you want to go to the emerging the emerging trends? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So, okay. in the emerging trends, we have mutual or self-assured destruction, demountment of society, take whatever you throw at me, garbage person, not okay, escapism, romanticized youth. I still love not okay. <laughs> not necessarily for the song, it's just my favorite category. I'm trying to think, what would this song categorize as? Because I guess it, whether, how you interpret it. I don't know, because if you asked me at 15, I would say destruction and love. Yeah. But there's not really anything saying that there's any love going on. And we've been talking a lot about like fascism and death and horror. Uh, so I, I think it could be another subject, but also it's just, you know, when you think of like someone that you would call Miss Murder and she's gorgeous and like a woman who could take the lead singer's life away from him, that's usually associated with destruction and love. So I, it could go either way. I think I'm going to go with romanticized youth only because like when we read the interpretations and the idea that the chorus does say, can, if I... If I beg you to take my life, will I remain young? It's an extreme case, but I think that that might be the only way. That's I think that's how I see it. It's up for debate. I'm okay if we don't put it there. But I think based on some of the interpretations, I think it can go there. You know what? Let's put it there because that's a pretty concrete way to look at it. And I didn't think about it until you mentioned it. Yeah. So, yeah, let's put it there. We're going to put it in Romanticized Youth. Uh, I just want to remind everybody of the songs that we've gotten through so far. We've got The Reason by Hoobastank, Snakes on the Plane by Cobra Starship, I Like Money, I Like Money by The Millionaires, Knights of Sidonia by Muse, Caring is Creepy by The Shins, New Slang by The Shins, Let Go by Frau Frau, Sweet Disposition by The Temper Trap. And we decided to uh, retroactively add Shake It by Metro Station. Mm -hmm. Black Sheep by Metric. Threshold by Sex Babam. And now we have Miss Murder by AFI. What a beautiful list. We should also mention we created a playlist for all the songs yes. we cover that you can follow yes. on Spotify. We also added some other um, treats and gems to the playlist because they kind of go hand in hand with the songs that we've already talked about and probably we'll talk about them at some point later on. All right. Oh, and um, well, we still got the two, two end of the episode yes. things. Um, why don't we start with Tom? Do you think that this would work in 2020? Yes. Um, I think the music video would be debated because it doesn't take necessarily a stance. But I think it could, I think it would stand up. Like, I still love the song. And I think that there's a lot of reason as to why this band had such longevity. And right now, without talking too much about it, it is, we can definitely look at something as a satire of curtain political climate. Mm -hmm. So I think it would still hold up today. I mean, it's, if anything, this is a song that, when it comes on, people think nostalgically on, whether it's because they were a scene kid and they're like, oh, I love that song. Or you're an older punk guy who goes, oh, I, you know, I remember this band. You know, I either love them or you hate them for selling out, quote unquote. I think it would still hold up. I think it'd be interesting to see how the music video would change to garner the eyes of 2020 viewers versus 2006. But I think considering the themes that they follow in the music video and the themes in the song, I feel like it's pretty on point for 2020. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I do know the second question, and I think I'll ask you, what have you been obsessing yeah. over lately? Okay, so it's funny that um, 
This album's success was followed by The Chicks because I have been really obsessing over female country musicians who are speaking up for themselves. Okay. There's, you've got, you know, Dolly Parton speaking up for people now, which is fucking amazing. And you've got uh, The Chicks' new album, Gaslighter, which is I'm going to say one of my favorite albums that I've ever listened to ever. And you also have musicians like Kelsey Ballerini, who is actually sort of stepping away from typical uh, writing styles that are usually like pretty hashed out by most female country singers. And Margot Price, I was just listening to her new album yesterday, and she actually mentions having an abortion in a song. And I honestly was just so taken back that somebody felt brave enough to even sing and write about it because you don't hear about that in any other genre really so hearing it from a female country artist was really amazing and yeah so that's what i've been into what about you tom what have you been obsessing over um honestly i just got hbo max nice and i've been i watched all of a jg quintel's adult animated series close enough i loved it i love i loved regular shows so for me this was just like the next step yeah close enough is like the trial and errors of 30 something year olds whereas you can look at regular show as like the trials and triumphs of like an 18 to 22 year old yeah so i it felt natural like it's similar but also very different like thematically it's a much more mature but still in touch with like the youthful self culture there's an episode that i love where they go to a club and at the club if you're over the age of 30 they murder you jesus christ and the funny thing is the club was called logan's run oh that's funny which is a reference to the movie logan's run (laughs) Um, that actually kind of parallels with, oh my god, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, that parallels with one of Kelsey Ballerini's songs that I was listening to that's called Club, and she literally is singing in the chorus, I don't want to go to the club! And then they shout, Club! And she's like, I don't want to say stupid things! (laughs) And it's really good. Yeah, and that's what I loved about it. It's just, the whole principle of the episode was, once you hit 30, you just hang out at pubs and chat with your friends. Yeah. And that everyone at the club, it's like this it's this really elaborate fake facade that people have embraced. And it's all like these young 20-somethings and they have to pretend to be young or else they get murdered. Ugh. Ugh, that feels appropriate. But yeah, I didn't know that um, the creator of the regular show had a new show out on HBO Max. Yeah. I think you might have like mentioned that there was a new show coming out, but I don't think I realized that it was on HBO Max. I'm going to check it out now. I also checked out the Harley Quinn animated show. Yes, you and I have uh, differing opinions on this. I really liked it. It's not that I don't like it. It's just the tone is strange to me. I guess I wasn't expecting it. That's fair. Yeah, but I mean, I do love Harley Quinn and the voice cast is amazing. Yeah, but those are our recommendations and what we've been obsessing over. Yeah. So. Do you think that is a wrap? I think that's right. I just want to say that Davey Havoc has gotten really cute over the years. Yeah, I think the beard works for him. I, yeah, I'm kind of into like, you know, 44 year old Davey Havoc more than I was 28, 31 year old Davey Havoc. I, I like his style now. He's 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 kind of like grown into his looks. I like it. He's got the chin. He's got the chin. Yeah, and the yeah. scruff looks good on him and the suits. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. That was a lot of fun. I love covering these music episodes. Yeah, the music episodes are fun. They're like simple, concise. We can go on a perfect amount of tangents and it all ties back in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, With that, you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Um, And I think there's our Podbeam. And I'm hoping to find maybe more places to find us. We are, I don't know if I can cut this out if we don't want me to mention it, but we're working on a YouTube adventure. No, go for it. We're going to work on some stuff for YouTube, but it's not just going to be us uploading all the podcasts to YouTube. We will put our episodes on YouTube, but I wanted to kick launch YouTube with this idea that there's going to be more than just 
the episodes. It'll be additional content that we usually post on Instagram, Maybe but you can watch it. Longer cartoons, we'll be making those as well. Yep. Yeah. Some video essays, just things about the aughts, all these things from the 2000s, all expressed on the one home location. If you want to hear more about it, stay tuned because we'll have some more stuff for you. Also, be sure to follow the Instagram at remember the 00s podcast. That's right. All right. And with that, I think we're good. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Stay tuned. Mark had a nervous breakdown. Turn around. This time, turn your chair, too. No, no. Turn your chair around. All right, good. One more time. Turning around. This is awkward. No, no. Turn your chair around. All right, good. Two o'clock in the morning, though.